This morning we are in the seventh commandment and it seems on the surface like it would be really easy to understand and it would just be a simple message and a simple commandment. Exodus chapter 20 verse number 14, the seventh commandment reads like this. It says, you must not commit adultery. Sounds pretty simple. We're going to dive into this this morning. The nation of Israel, if you can remember, and we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks when these commandments were given, Moses had been up on Mount Sinai. God had given him the commandments, and he comes down to a nation of about a million people who are at the the base of the mountain, and he's giving them these commandments. The nation of Israel is forming now a covenant community with God. Covenant being similar to a marriage. It's it's a vow that that God is making with this community, with these people, and only these people. They are His nation. And these commands are for them to obey both individually and corporately. Each person is obeying these commands, but as each person does, so does the entire community. Sometimes we look at the Ten Commandments and we see them in a negative perspective. You know, we we read them and we hear a lot of thou shall not, right? Thou shall not, thou shall not. And in a way, it seems like the Ten Commandments are somewhat taking away our freedoms. It's a list of what not to do. It's not giving us a lot of what to do. It's as if every law that God gives us is just restricting us more and more. I know when I was a kid, when I was in seventh grade, I was 12 years old in 1988, and there was a kid in uh, my shop class. His name was John. And the day after, our entire class came and took our yearbook photo in the quad. We all gathered in the quad and we looked up on the roof and the principal was up there taking a photo for the yearbook. And they took the photo. The very next day, John was riding in the back of his brother's truck. And his brother lost control of the truck and rolled the truck. And we lost John forever that day. For seventh graders, it was a very traumatic time because this was the first time that some of us had ever lost anyone in our lives. Every one of us can still look back and see John at the front of the picture in our yearbooks right now. It was 1991 in January that the state of California, and not not specifically because of this incident in 88, but it, it certainly led to California put a law in place that said now nobody at any age can ride in the back of a truck at all. At that point, when John was riding, well, it was illegal, but if you were over 18, you could still ride in the back of a truck. In 1991, California said no one can ride, can ride in the back of the truck. And do we think, does anyone really think and look back at that law and say, you know what, the government did it just to restrict our freedoms, right? It wasn't to restrict our freedoms. The government made this law for our protection. Why do we think that God has created a law against adultery. God knew. He knew people. And he gave that rule as one of the ten because he knew that it was going to be necessary. God had to have this rule in place for his people for a reason. 
This morning, we are going to look at four protections that arise and come out of the seventh commandment. And these protections are going to funnel down. We're going to start wide and we're going to funnel them down until we get to a very personal protection. I want you to start with me and, and look for those of you who have sermon notes, which I apologize for those online, you don't have your sermon notes because I didn't get them put up. And for those here, we're not handing things out. So nobody has sermon notes. But if by chance you did, point number one in your notes this morning is this. The seventh commandment is a protection for the community. The seventh commandment is a protection for the community. It's about a million people that Moses is coming down the mountain and talking to. And this rule prohibits an Israelite man from having unlawful sexual relations with another man's wife. It's a community protection. The flip side of that is that it prohibits other men from having unlawful relations with your wife. You see how the protection works both ways, right? It's protecting every household in the community. The community, if it is broken and it has no unified meaning, a community just falls apart. When our neighborhoods have no unified meaning, our neighborhoods fall apart. If a man in a neighborhood is going around and, and committing a, a, adultery throughout the neighborhood, throughout the community, it creates problems in the community. It creates bitterness in the community. It creates anger in the community, revenge maybe from, from husbands that know about this. Those attributes are not good for a community and see where it starts. It had started with adultery in this situation, right? So it's a protection for the community. There is no benefit to a community when neighbors break down their unified meaning. There's a Bible story in the book of Second Samuel of how adultery just destroyed a community. There was this lady named Bathsheba, and she was married to a guy named Uriah. Uriah is a military man. Uriah is not just a soldier. He's like a Navy SEAL. He's like this elite ninja warrior kind of guy, right? In, in the king's army, there are 37 mighty men. Uh, this, this is just the most elite soldiers. He's one of them. We can imagine that maybe Uriah had saved some money from going to war, and, and maybe... Maybe he saved his money to buy this home that is next to the palace. And, and he has this great paying job being in the military and a, and a great position of honor and leadership in, in his job in the military. And, and he's got a great house now and he lives in a great city and he's got this great wife that we're going to learn is just hot. It's, you know, so then we find out that Uriah... Also, has fought alongside the king, so he's somebody who has a lot going for him. He's got a good life. Him and Bathsheba, they're making memories together in their home. And one day, Uriah is out at battle. He's out doing his job with the army. Bathsheba's at home, alone, 
She's taking a, a bath in the afternoon or the evening, and it would have been outside, maybe on the rooftop, and that's what happened in, in those days. But they lived so close to the palace, which would have been a great place to live, that the king, King David, was kind of out on his balcony, kind of like peeping Tom around the neighborhood, and he sees Bathsheba down taking a bath on her roof. And the king knowing there's somebody down there. I'm not quite sure who this person is. He asks his servants. He says, hey, who is that down there? They say, oh, yeah, that's where Uriah lives. That's Uriah's wife down there. David knows that Uriah is gone. He's out of town. He's with my army. So he tells his servants, he says, hey, go down there and get Bathsheba and, and, and bring her to me. So... That's exactly what happens. And David has relations with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And then a few days later, David gets a phone call from Bathsheba. Maybe not a phone call. I don't think they had phones. But, but he, he, it's, it's that phone call, and she probably starts out the call talking about the weather, or maybe like, hey, have you seen my sweater or something? But, and then she drops this bomb. She's like, oh, by the way, I, I'm, 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 I'm pregnant, right? It's like shatters. David's like, okay, how am I going to fix this? So what David does, he tells, he, he sends a, a note to the general, and he's like, hey, um, send Uriah home. Can you just send him back to his house? And so David tells Uriah, once he gets back to the palace, he says, hey, you know what? Um, you've done such a great job out there. I want you to go home and uh, go home and have a great date night. Like, I'm going to send some burgers, like Uber Eats is going to bring you some food. You guys just have a great time tonight, and... Uh, hang out with your wife. So what he wants to do is play the old switcheroo, right? There's no DNA back then, so that, that's the whole idea. So Uriah, though, he says, no, uh-uh. My brothers are out fighting, and I'm not going to go home and, uh, you know, have a holiday at home with my wife. Not going to happen. He sleeps at the gate of the palace. David's like, okay, so what do I do next? The next day he brings him into the palace and great feast and gets him drunk. And he thought, okay, he's drunk now. Now he'll go home. He says, hey, now go home. Go be with your wife. Uriah is, uh-uh, not going to happen. David's in a tough situation right now. You know why he's in this tough situation? Adultery, right? We were already told, you don't do this. But David now has a big problem and a disastrous cover-up now to clean up this mess. What he ends up doing is helping Uriah kind of pack his bags to go back to the battle, and, and before Uriah leaves, he gives him a letter, and he says, hey, take this letter to your general, give it to him when you get back there, and, uh, you know, good luck, you guys are doing a great job. Give everyone a high five for me when you get back to the battlefield and, uh, you know, be on your way. Pop, you know, and there goes his white horse and they're, and they're riding off again, right? So Uriah gets back to camp. He's taking all of his saddlebags off and, you know, getting some water, his feet hurt, and just settling in. And he's like, hey, uh, Commander, by the way, here, hey, here's a letter the king had me send to you. Commander opens up this letter. It's from the king. The king gave instructions to the commander, the general, and the letter says, 
I want you to go to battle and I want you to put Uriah on the very front lines, put him up front. And then once the enemy comes, I want you to back everyone away so that he dies. And that's exactly what happened. What was lost here? There was so much lost in the community because of adultery. It started there. See, David, King David, broke up a married couple. Then he made things worse. But you think about what did the community lose? Well, they lost Uriah. Uriah's dead. Uriah had a community. He had neighbors. And Bathsheba now, so the king brings her on board. She lives at the palace as the eighth wife of David. What do you think that tells everyone else in the community? That says, hey, if your husband dies at war, the king is coming after your wife, right? You think that that breaks down a barrier of trust? Yeah, so there's a trust that is lost now. The neighborhood lost one of their members. The military lost one of their soldiers. There was only 37 of these super ninja warriors, and one of them now is gone. Yeah, the community has lost because the protection of adultery was not, it, it was not followed. Bathsheba and King David, they had many children. Their fifth child that was born to them was a boy named Solomon. Solomon would eventually become the king, would take over his father's throne. And Solomon would write quite a bit, and we have a lot of his writings in the Bible. He wrote the, um, a lot in the book of Proverbs, and we're in Proverbs chapter 6. And I want you to think about this. This is, this is Solomon writing this, and he's telling us to keep the commands of our fathers and listen to the instructions of our mothers. And I can't read this without thinking. I wonder if Solomon writes this thinking about the fact that his father, David, killed his mother's first husband, the father of his brother. Would Solomon have written this knowing that an adulterous affair had broke his mother's heart years ago? Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 24, it reads like this. We're talking about the instruction of your father and mother, and it will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can we walk on hot coals and not blister our feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Those are pretty strong words from Solomon. The Apostle Paul writes about community in the, the book that he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 13. Uh, verse number 9, it says, For the commandments say, You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covenant, covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? You hear that? Paul is listing all of these, all of these commandments and breaking them as, as actions that are going to break down the unification of community. 
We don't have a unified meaning anymore. He's saying adultery is bad. It's bad not just for your marriage. It's bad for the community. This is the, as I said, the high end of this, of this funnel. We must protect the unions that God has built. And that doesn't mean that we simply protect our union. That means that we work to help protect the unions of others. See, if our job is to protect marriage, that's more than just our marriage. Who are we mentoring right now? Who down the street, what man down the street are we talking to? Are we strengthening in Christ? Are we helping them keep their marriage strong? Who do we know something about and we're not talking to them about it? Who is it in our lives? That's our jobs, right? Maxie Dunham writes a commentary for the book of Exodus, and one of his great quotes is this. He said, If the historians are right in their warnings that the strength and stability of society are dependent upon the stability of the marriage relationship, then we, then our permissiveness threatens us with doom. If society's strength is based on the strength of marriages, society has a lot to worry about right now. Because our marriages have a lot to worry about right now. The seventh commandment, it's not there to take away any of our freedoms. It's there to provide protection and purity in the community. The second protection provided by the seventh commandment is this. It's providing protection for the family. Leviticus chapter 20, it describes God's punishments for a lot of his rules that he's already put down. Leviticus chapter 20, God gives his punishment for adulterous relationships. We're in 20 verses number 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, give the people of Israel these instructions. Verse 10, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. That's the penalty, is death. It's more literally being stoned outside the city gates. So if you're caught in an adulterous relationship, the man and the woman in the relationship, you are drugged outside the city gates. It's not done privately. This is a very public ordeal. And you are stoned to death. You are put into a pit and people throw rocks at you and hit you with them until you are dead. Why is why is the punishment so severe? Because the rule is that important. Because God knows that, that He has designed marriage to represent Him. He didn't create the bonds of marriage to ever be broken. He created these bonds of marriage to come closer together. He never gave us an excuse for divorce. And God knows one of the strongest, one of the biggest reasons that, that marriages break apart is because of adultery. He knows that. He knows that adultery will break down communities and break down marriages. It has a very strong punishment. So many marriages in our culture end in divorce and adultery. One of the biggest reasons for that and the reason why many marriages don't last. See, adultery hurts marriages and divorce hurts families. It's more than just 
mom and dad. Take in consideration the others in the family, the, the kids, grandparents, in-laws. How do you look at them in the eye anymore now, right? Uh, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. There's so many other people that are part of your marriage who are outside of your marriage, but they're part of the family, right? When I was younger, my mother had a set of salt and pepper shakers. They were in the shape of, of one was a hen and one was a rooster, and, and they apparently meant something to my mom. I believe maybe they were given to her by um, maybe my grandmother. But they were on the windowsill, and a, a one day during the summer, I remember one of the neighbor kids was open, just went to open the window. It was a simple move, just to open up the window. And both of those figurines fell down and were comforted by the soft landing of concrete. And they shattered. Now, it's not as if they, they just broke into like two pieces that you could take some glue and put back together. No, they shattered. There is shards all over the dining room floor at this point. And that's what happens to families in divorces is there are shards that go everywhere. We say, well, we can take two people and put them put back together. We can put the big pieces back together, maybe. Maybe they can go back together. But you know what's not there is all the little shards, all the little pieces that have been scattered everywhere. And even if you can't put the big pieces back together, maybe the entire family is just shards all over the floor. God gave us this rule to protect our marriage. Statistics shows that, that there is that there are, are numbers that will show that kids who grow up in an intact family family, whether it be their biological parents or adopted parents, but grow up with a mother and a father, they are less likely to cheat later on in life because that's an example that they have been given. Think, think about society and, and the idea that society has now that says, well, pastor, we don't, we don't live like that anymore. It's okay to just go around and have fun with whoever you want to. That's okay. Let's look at that viewpoint and that mindset. Let's look around our world and see how well that's done for us. I really don't think that our recreation of marriage has been beneficial to marriage and society. Amen? It's not the way God made it. And it's not going to turn out the way that God designed it to turn out if we're not allowing God to be the driving force in our marriage. So what do we do if we find ourselves in a relationship that either the purity or the commitment has been jeopardized? I want you to know that purity and commitment, those can be received again. We can bring those back into a relationship. We can commit to commitment and we can commit to purity. You know what's easy? Leaving is easy. Giving up, that's easy. Walking out, that's easy. Grab a couple of things, go. Him getting what he deserves, easy. She getting what's coming to her, easy. You know what's hard? Grace, commitment, forgiveness, marriage. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Marriage takes work. 
It's an action. It's a verb. By default, your marriage is not going to be happy. It takes work. The third protection of the seventh commandment is the protection for our hearts. You see the funnel? We're going from our community. We're going from our marriage. We're looking now at the protection of our hearts. Purity of our hearts leads to purity in our marriage, which leads to purity and commitment to our community. If everyone in your neighborhood was committed to their marriage, you have a neighborhood committed to each other. But it starts with commitment and purity of your heart, right? It takes work to protect something, especially your heart, because that's normally left to self-protection now when we're talking about protecting our heart. Protection is, is to keep safe something that is yours or something that is somebody else's but you've been put in charge of. Your neighbors aren't yours, but God has put you in charge of your neighborhood to keep an eye out, right? To, to bring everyone up, to tell others about Jesus. Your neighbors are not yours, but they are ours to protect. Your family is not yours. God gave them to you and asked you to protect them, right? So it's not just us protecting our family. We are protecting God's family. That's our job. Your heart is not yours. That also is God's. It's just our job to protect it. Protection. I wouldn't say that protection is always natural on all levels. We've got this self-protection that I'm wanting to go into protection mode. I'm going to... When, 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 when the worst starts coming, we might grab a kid and look under a table and, and go, but we're looking for self-protection. You know what does come naturally? Well, let's see what, the, uh, what Matthew says. We're in Matthew chapter 15, verse number 19. He says, For from the heart come evil things, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9. He says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? By default, by nature, our hearts are corrupt. By nature, our hearts are wicked. We have to protect them. If we are to be set apart, if our hearts are to be holy, we are to be different. We need to do something different than what is natural, from what everyone else is doing. Purity of the heart, it takes work to build and maintain. A, a, a commitment takes discipline to commit to keeping our hearts pure. So what is it that keeps our hearts pure and protected for God? It's similar to what it takes to keep our marriages pure and protected. What are we allowing in? What are we allowing into our marriage? When we put up barriers, we're saying, I'm protecting it from no one else is coming in here. This is our marriage, and we're keeping it protected. When we talk about our hearts, what are we allowing in? Have you ever heard the term garbage in, garbage out, right? We've got to be careful on what comes into our ears. We have to be careful on what comes into our eyes. 
Because if you're putting garbage in, if you're putting garbage in, you know what comes out? Garbage, right? And, and so if, if we have it going into our eyes and into our ears, eventually, you know where it ends up? It, it, that's what's feeding our hearts. So what can we do to make sure that we are protecting our hearts from garbage? You think about influences. When you were kids, there were kids down the street that would always use foul language, right? There were kids who would go out back behind the school and they were, they were smoking and, and there was influence, right? And even as adults, there is still influence in our lives. What are we letting influence our hearts? We have to protect what goes into our hearts. Your hearts affect your marriage, and your marriage affects your community. We have to protect our hearts. It takes discipline to turn off the wrong influences in our life and to make good habits out of positive, godly heart influences. That takes work. That takes purpose. That doesn't happen by accident. It takes discipline. The fourth and final protection provided by the seventh commandment is a protection for our relationship with God. Spiritual adultery is like an adulterous relationship in our earthly form, but it's when we have a relationship outside of our relationship with God. When we're connecting spiritually, but not with God. The Bible talks often about when you go astray spiritually, it talks often about like an adulterous relationship. The Old Testament uses the term, you know, being with a prostitute often. And we can see God's wrath and anger and jealousy the same type of emotions that we can see in an adulterous relationship in our home. We can see wrath, anger, jealousy, sorrow. This is what God feels when we let down the protections of our relationship with Him. Whenever we let another lowercase g God, get into the place where uppercase g God should be, we have committed spiritual adultery. When we stand up before a minister and our family is out in the audience and your bride's in a beautiful dress and, and you're in this um, cheesy rented tuxedo and you make vows to each other, it's that type of commitment that you've made with God when you come to Christ. I'm making a commitment to have a pure, committed relationship with Jesus. We make that vow. Our walk with God should be the same way as that marriage vow because our relationship with God should be shown as the highest quality of purity and commitment. God's relationship with us should be an example of our relationship with our spouse. How do we protect our relationship with God? 
We protect our relationship with God the same way that we protect our marriages. Is we focus solely on God. This is where my attention is. By making sure that we're spending time together. Your marriage comes closer when you spend time together, right? You're going to come closer to God when you spend time together with God. You're going to get to know Him better. And that brings your relationship closer. It's recognizing what He does for us that's going to bring our relationship deeper. It's enjoying the sense of humor that God has. Can you go through your day and something happens and you know that God just put it there and and He has this sense of humor? It's when you can see God's sense of humor that you know that you are getting closer to God. When you can laugh at what God puts in your life. When, When you can see the joy through nature that He has put into your life. It means that you're deepening your relationship with God. It's also when... We are sad because we know God is sad. It's when we can rejoice because we know that God is rejoicing. It's the same thing. As a spouse, I am sad when my spouse is sad. I can rejoice when my spouse rejoices because that relationship is deep. That's how we deepen our relationship with God. God didn't give us these rules to to take away and diminish the freedoms that we have. He gave us these rules, this rule specifically, to protect our relationships. Let God be our example in our relationships. Do you know that God has never committed spiritual adultery in His relationship with you? Never has. We're never going to wonder where God has been because He's always there with you, protecting your relationship with Him. We're never going to have to wonder who God has been with, because He's always going to be there, protecting your relationship with Him. We're never going to wonder what's that, what's that scent. We're never going to wonder any of those things, because God is always going to be right there. He is not committing spiritual adultery on us. He needs to be the example that we are using to go into our other relationships. How God treats us is how we need to treat others. How God's relationship with us stacks up is how our relationship in our marriage and our heart and on our community stack up. You're never going to wonder if God loves you enough. Never going to wonder. Because God is always going to consistently show you His love in your relationship. Because He's protecting your relationship. Human relationships aren't easy. We have this sinful spirit and we've looked at that today. And I know this is going to sound shocking to some, but if you're here today or if you're online today and if you are saved by grace... I want you to remember this, that we cannot hold sinners up to standards of the saved. We can't. If we are expecting those who are sinners to to live up to the standards of those who are saved, would it be fair to say what we can expect out of sinners is to live a natural life, right? To, To live by impulse. 
The saved live by a different standard. We have to live by a different standard. But we can't expect everyone who is not saved to live by that standard. It's our job to teach them that standard and to bring them up in Christ. I hope this morning that you've seen that funnel shaping down from community. And I hope that you've seen that it shaped down to our marriage. And then it came down closer to our heart. And then we looked at our relationship with God. If you don't have true protection for your marriage, you can't truly protect your heart. And if you can't truly protect your heart, you can't truly protect your relationship with God. It funnels down. And if you're not protecting your relationship with God, you can't protect your heart. How can we protect our marriage? How can we biblically protect our marriage if we're not protecting our own heart? Protections are so important. We can get stronger. We can get better. We can become better husbands and better wives and better neighbors. And and we can grow deeper in our relationship with God. No matter where you were, God knows where He can take you. No matter where your relationship was, God knows where He can take you. He takes you with grace. He provides grace and forgiveness. And He's willing to forgive you. I can tell you that right now. God is willing to forgive you. Let me tell you something. I can't tell you that much about your husband or your wife. I can tell you that about God, that God is willing to. I can promise you that God can put broken hearts and broken families and broken communities back together. We can't do it on our own. It can only be done with Jesus. Let's pray.